the solution to your problem is simple. The only way to get what you want is to become a human yourself. Can you do that? My dear sweet child, that's what I do. It's what I live for, to help unfortunate merfolk like yourself. Poor souls with no one else to turn to. A princess who lives under the sea falls in love with a human and desperately wants to be part of his world. Listen as we chat about an unbreakable magical contract, a brutal comeuppance for a chef, and what Disney has in common with the American auto industry. Then we find out if The Little Mermaid stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with the blood Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time. I'm James Brief, and joining me, part of my world of the Test of Time podcast, is my buddy and pal, Alan Noah. Aw, that was very sweet. I like that. That was adorable. How you doing, James? I'm good. I'm good. And, uh, you know, because they're uh, making a live-action remake of The Little Mermaid, we decided to review uh, The Little Mermaid today. Right, right. Yeah, this is... One of many in the Disney live action remake reboot, whatever things that they're doing. And I'm excited to talk about the animated Little Mermaid. But first, I want to ask you, have you seen Guardians of the Galaxy Vol Period 3? No, I haven't. And, you know, since I missed that opening weekend and that, you know, there really is something special about an opening weekend oh, sure. in a theater that's going to be a good crowd. Yeah. Um, and since I missed that, I just kind of think, why don't I just wait at this point another, uh, you know, how many weeks or a month or two, a couple months for the movie to be on Disney Plus? Kind of like the last Ant Man. I was kind of interested in seeing it, but eh, I didn't see it on the opening night or opening weekend, and I wasn't super into it either. And, you know, unless it's something I really want to see right away, movies are becoming uh, less and less of a, of a needed thing to go to. It's interesting that you say that because I would have guessed that you would have been super into Guardians Volume 3. And unlike Ant-Man and the Wasp colon Quantumania, which got kind of meh reviews, the reviews on Guardians have been good. They're also, at least from what I've seen online, haven't been like rampant spoilers everywhere, which is good, you know, if you're going to wait. That way you don't have to worry about something being ruined for you. I think that is kind of the other reason to go right away. In addition to what you said about, you know, just the fun of going to a packed theater opening weekend. I saw it opening weekend on that Sunday. We were busy, you know, that Thursday and Friday and Saturday. So I kind of felt like we were already getting to it kind of late. Usually the spoilers don't really hit until the Monday morning after. So I felt like we were kind of in the safe zone, but it was fun. It was a fun theater that was really into it and was really happy to be there. 
I had a good time. I had a good time at the theater. I think it probably would be a good time to go, but uh, like I said, I missed it. And then there was the big Mother's Day weekend. It actually did pretty well. Uh, it had made the headlines for not making a billion dollars the first weekend. But uh, the quieter headline of the box office take was that it actually had one of the smallest drops ever for a Marvel film. Yeah, And uh, so people that have seen it like it. I, I am interested in seeing Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Uh, I think James Gunn is... Uh, He's a very good director. I've read some reviews that were talking about how volume three is extra James Gunn-esque. That's not a spoiler. It's a compliment, you know, that he really put his stamp on this movie. And yes, it's IP. And yes, we know these characters already. And yes, there is lore from comic books and everything else. But it really does feel like a James Gunn film, a James Gunn statement and it is quite good. I will spoil nothing, I promise, but like, I think it is definitely worth your time. And I'm excited to talk to you about it after you see it. Maybe we will revisit it in a future episode. Uh, we certainly will. All right. Perhaps when we review Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, that's going to be in many, many years. Maybe we'll do it before then. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but let's get into The Little Mermaid. This was a movie that I was excited to talk about. I was excited to watch the animated version with my daughter. She's nine. She loves Disney stuff. I figured she would be into it. She's excited to watch the new one now. But for anyone who doesn't remember the original animated movie, it's about a young mermaid named Ariel who dreams of life outside the sea. Upon swimming to the surface one night, Ariel witnesses a shipwreck. She rescues a handsome young prince who is on the boat, and in doing so, falls in love with him. In order to see her beloved Prince Eric again, Ariel makes a deal with an evil sorceress named Ursula. Ursula turns Ariel into a human in exchange for her voice. Ariel has three days to get a true love's kiss from Prince Eric, or she will belong to Ursula forever. Can true love conquer all, or, in typical Disney fashion, will the evil witch win the day? <laughs> No, of course not. The prince and the princess live happily ever after. It's a Disney movie. That's right. Of course, we're not going to count any of those random direct-to-DVD sequels that, you know, started popping up in the late 90s, early 2000s. No, we don't need to talk about those. Okay, those we'll just consider non-canon on the test of time. I think that's probably for the best. Uh, but when this movie came out, the animated Little Mermaid... I don't need to ask you if it was a big hit because I know that this was a huge smash and this put Disney kind of back on the map, especially Disney animation, which had kind of been doing lackluster throughout the 80s up until this point. Yes, of course. This film is famous for being uh, the return of uh, Disney to animation glory, the Disney renaissance. And, you know, I'd seen different reports. I'd seen that this was the first animated film to break $100 million. Okay. I think maybe that's worldwide. And domestically, it had made uh, as much as $84 million. But uh, it was a smash hit. But amazingly, this film never made it to number one. Really? Yeah, it was in the theater for weeks, you know, for months and months. Uh, it opened at uh, number three with only $6 million and then made $84 million. So that's like, you know, a 14 multiplier. So if people kept going to the movie weeks and weeks after it came out, then the movie, like Ariel at the end, had legs. Eh? Eh? 
That is very true. Wow. Okay. I was raising my eyebrows a lot for the listeners. You know, the uh, number one film, the weekend that came out, uh, when it came out number three, it was an Eddie Murphy film. This is 1989. It was a very big film for him. Uh, you know, it was number one, but um, it, it's not really talked about much. Um, it's, I believe, takes place in the 1920s. Huh. I was going to guess one of the Beverly Hills Cop sequels, but now I know that's not right. I'm not sure. Harlem Nights. You ever heard of that film? Sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, and uh, the film also made $27 million uh, in a 1997 re-release. Got it. And I specifically remember uh, that on eBay for a while, this VHS and later this DVD, particularly The Little Mermaid, was incredibly sought after because, of course, of this Disney vault, one of the most brilliant uh, media campaigns in history. You, You remember? the Disney vault, right? I do, but The Little Mermaid kind of broke that trend where after the movie was in theaters, six months or a year or whatever it was later, Disney released the movie on VHS, which was kind of the norm throughout the industry, but Disney didn't do that normally. So I'm surprised that it was going for a lot of money on eBay. All of these films basically were really sought after, but Little Mermaid in particular. Interesting. You know, this film really is a, a fascinating in how it came to be because, you know, we had reviewed some of the uh, classic Disney films, uh, 1950s uh, Cinderella. We had done Pinocchio and, you know, these are wonderful films. Dumbo. Dumbo. Animation and the Disney Corporation. You know, I guess it kind of followed maybe the American auto industry. You know, the 70s and 80s weren't the best time for the uh, for the corporation. While I like some of the films they did, uh, Robin Hood, The Sword in the Stone, it's not really known for much. And they almost shut down the entire animated studio. And Walt Disney was going to just be like a theme park and, uh, you know, it's IP corporation. There was one film uh, that really tanked in the 80s. Have you ever heard of uh, Disney's huge bomb, the animated bomb from the 80s? Maybe. What was it? It was a movie that was that had no songs, and it was called The Black Cauldron. Yes, 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 yes. I know that one. So this was a huge flop. And, and then this producer, Don Bluth, uh, you've heard of him, right? Yeah. So he had made films that wound up being really big successes in the 80s. Uh, the Secret of Nim, American Tale, and uh, a, a lot of other ones. Uh, Fern Gully. And basically, Don Bluth had found a way to make cheaper and animated films that were to this day a lot of people don't know were not Walt Disney at least you know old Disney right Disney had basically decided to give it one last shot and there was Eisner and Katzenberg and they really butted heads a lot but they basically came out with the little mermaid and that was going to be basically going for broke and it was absolute gangbusters. This was the first animated film to be nominated for uh, Best Picture, a Golden Globe. Next year, uh, Beauty and the Beast would uh, get the Oscar nomination for Best Picture. Right. And there was talk about doing The Little Mermaid as a Disney movie, like back in the 30s, 40s, 50s. In the, in the old days, it might not have been just The Little Mermaid. It might have been part of like a, a Hans Christian Andersen sort of 
collection of stories and then that got scrapped for whatever reason then it kind of came back into development in the 70s then went away then in the 80s they were talking about it but there was going to be a splash sequel apparently so then Katzenberg said no but then he kind of went back to it he was on the fence at first but he did believe in it I believe he said to maybe it was Eisner or maybe someone else that setting expectations. This is a movie for girls. It's probably not going to do really, really great. But then as they got farther along in the process and, you know, Alan Menken was brought on to write the songs, he really started to believe in it. And he predicted closer to its release that this is going to be a blockbuster. And he was right. Um, And I think a lot of that has to do with Alan Menken, who wrote the songs. He was known for doing a Broadway show called Little Shop of Horrors, which we will do on the podcast, the movie version, the Rick Moranis version with my wife, Courtney. She will definitely come on for that. But this movie really has a Broadway musical kind of feel. And, you know, of course, the the Little Mermaid did become a Broadway musical, but it has that vibe. And Alan Menken's a brilliant songwriter, brilliant uh, lyricist, although I think uh, he didn't write all of the lyrics. He had a partner. Howard Ashman. Right, right. Howard Ashman. So all of these different things combining together really helped make the movie such a hit. While there's some wonderful classic Disney songs, you know, When You Wish Upon a Star, and uh, what's that song from Dumbo that you love? Uh, oh, Baby Mine. Yeah, Baby Mine. You know, these are beautiful, but, you know, it's just nothing like what they did with a full orchestra with Broadway producers. I mean, they had done Fantasia before where they had some brilliant orchestras, yeah. but it was so boring. <laughs> Every kid hated Fantasia. Did you hate Fantasia as a kid? Yeah, my mom loved it. And I think I could only watch the Sorcerer's Apprentice part, which is, I don't know, I'm guessing here, 10, 15, 20-ish minutes of the whole movie. That part I could watch. The rest of it, I was like, no, I'm done. Absolutely. Like, you could watch the Mickey Mouse cartoon, but the rest was boring as hell. Right. You know, Even take a, a brilliant song like Phil Collins' uh, You'll Be In My Heart. I wouldn't say it's number one, but it's better than basically almost just the production quality is better than every song in, uh, before Little Mermaid. Uh, it's just a class that they never gave respect to. I, I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm just saying more that these guys decided to give uh, extra respect to not just, you know, a man or woman's beautiful voice and there's a guitar and a, and a drum, like a little band. They're like, no, we are going to have this like a Broadway musical, yeah. but Disney quality. Right, right. And Under the Sea has always been one of my favorite Disney songs. And watching the movie again, you know, it's just like, yeah, this is, pardon the hyperbole, a masterpiece. That song is just so fantastic. They put everything into that song. And it could be too much. It could just be, no, there's just too much stuff in there. But no, it works on every single level. And as I watched the movie again the other day, I was like, you know, I kind of forgot how good Kiss the Girl is. I kind of forgot how much I love Part of Your World. Poor Unfortunate Souls. These are all really, really good songs. I think maybe I forgot about the others just because I love Under the Sea so, so much. But they're all really good. Except for the song with, like, the chef that's trying to kill Sebastian. That one's stupid. Le Poisson? 
Yeah, that was so, so dumb. As I was watching the movie, I actually wrote it down in my notes. I'm like, this will definitely not be in the remake. It's very funny, though. The animation I saw in the theater. Did you see this movie in the theater? Probably. I have a younger sister. Probably, but I don't really remember. I remember some parts that specifically the theater cracked up with. And Le Poisson, the theater was hysterical. Really? Um, you know what made the theater really crack up? What? There's a part at the very end where Scully, the uh, simple-minded, uh, what is he, a seagull? Yeah. Yeah, he's a seagull. He looks through the uh, the window. I believe it's a portcullis, uh, that, right? That circular window in a, in a ship? I have no idea. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. Now, that word just came out of nowhere. But but I'm probably mispronouncing it if, if it is the right word. Well, that I'm sure of. But um, anyway, he sees uh, that it's Ursula. And then he goes, oh, my God, I got to warn them. And then he flies directly into the window. Like, he flies the wrong way. The theater was hysterically laughing. Like, there's certain things that just hit. And, oh, at the very end, when the chef gets his comeuppance and, you know, his teeth all fall out uh, when Sebastian gets him back for always trying to kill him and boil him alive, uh, the theater was laughing and cheering. People cheered at this film. I believe that. It's funny you say comeuppance because as I'm thinking about it, he's a chef who's making dinner. Like, he's not actually doing anything wrong from his point of view, from the point of view of the other humans in the story. We, the audience, understand that he shouldn't try to kill Sebastian because we like Sebastian, but it's a crab, he's making dinner, and his quote-unquote comeuppance is to lose all of his teeth. That is horrible. He loses all of his teeth in, like, the 1600s. Do we know when this movie takes place? I mean, look at the ship. I mean, this ship is carrying the prince. I mean, it's not modern times. I mean, it's not in the 20th century. Well, it could be in the late 19th century because apparently I read this on Wikipedia. I didn't notice it. In Ariel's Grotto, she has a bust of Abraham Lincoln. So that would mean that it's not in the 16th century. Oh, very interesting. Okay, so it could be the uh, late 19th century. Either way, I would not want to lose all my teeth, especially (laughs) when you're a chef and you want to enjoy all this food that you're eating. Right, this poor guy. This character, I would put money on it. This character is not in the remake. Oh, I I really beg to differ. I I see no problem with this character. I'm not saying there's a problem with him. Like, you know, he's problematic for this reason, that reason. But I just don't think he's funny. I'll make you a gentleman's bet pizza and a soda or something if you want. Oh, no. No? I'll make you a movie bet. Okay. If he's not in the film... What movie would you want me to watch that you know I don't want to watch, but you'll make me watch? I honestly can't answer that question. I don't have like a a movie off the top of my head that I'm like, you will hate this that I'm going to make you watch. I genuinely can't think of one. I would think it's some kind of like ironic comedy 80s film that like I'm going to like hate but you'll be like, it's Weird Al Yankovic staring at you for 68 minutes. It's hysterical. I'm not being facetious. I genuinely can't think of a movie like that. I mean, there are some like kind of quirky movies I'd like to do, but nothing that I'm like, James will hate. There are some that I'm like, I might hate this movie too because I thought it was funny a long time ago, but I, I, I don't know. 
I just want you to watch and review Michael Bay's Transformers. Nope, never watching another Michael Bay movie again. No, I do not take this bet. I do not take this bet. <laughs> I'm pretty confident that this character won't be in the movie, but I'm also worried that you're going to get me on some technicality where like, he kind of walks by in a scene or he has one line and is like, dinner is served. I, I will take you on complete good faith that I believe this character will be in in somewhat of a, of a presence like this. And I, I really know tricks. I believe it's in, in good faith. I believe this character is in this film. I, I think he's funny enough. And I would be surprised if he's not, only because it's mean to kind of cook a crab you want me to pick a different film no i mean if i can think of another movie another time then maybe i'll i'll take you up on that but what other things do you think will be different in the live action movie from the animated one you know i think we can just skip the part about uh the fact that the uh the actress playing uh ariel is a young african-american actress named uh uh halle bailey yes a hundred percent don't need to give that any oxygen. I'm convinced that's 12 angry dudes on Twitter who are good at the algorithm, and the majority of people don't give a shit. And I'm going to say that that's ridiculous only because, you know, I really think that it just it, it's a mermaid, folks. And right. I don't watch trailers, but I've seen, you know, little clips of the film, and she does seem to have uh, red hair. Mm-hmm. And I will say if they chose to make Ariel blonde or brunette or jet black hair, I think that would be legitimately people would be pissed off but i think i mean that's part of her iconic look but what else will be changed um there is an opening song of this film that i totally forgot about uh where the sailors are singing i found it completely boring yeah it kind of made me think of the opening song to frozen which is uh frozen heart which i think people maybe forget if you don't have kids and haven't seen that movie a thousand times uh, but yeah, that, that one's not the most interesting. One thing that they will definitely change about Ariel is that she will not be 16 years old and then get married at the end. I don't know which of those things they'll change. My guess is both. And honestly, they could just not say her age at all. But in the animated version, they specifically say, Ariel, you're 16. And the movie ends with her getting married. And maybe time has passed, you know, like after she goes back to land and she has a time to fall in love with Eric. And, you know, maybe this wedding scene is 10 years later. Could be, I guess. We don't really know. But I'm betting that they don't tell you her age at all. And I would guess that the live action movie maybe doesn't even end with a wedding. I don't know that it needs it. You know, like, I get it that that's like a Disney kind of staple that the prince and princess lived happily ever after and get married. I don't know that they need to get married. The story should end kind of open-ended. They do fall in love and go off and, you know, they go off into the sunset. But there could certainly be a great adventure to go back. Maybe he has to turn into a merman. You know, it's an obvious uh, twisting uh, sequel. I think you're really onto something there because... Sorry, roll your eyes at me if you need to. It's okay. But like there is a problematic element to this story where the woman changes everything about her, gives up her voice, gives up her identity literally to suit the man. And, you know, that's kind of old fashioned. That is a thing that happened in old stories. And I think from a modern lens, it's very easy to say 
that's kind of bullshit. Why doesn't Eric become a merman? Or maybe why don't they continue their relationship? He's a human. She's a mermaid. That's cool. Uh, I think the answer is she's young and in love and stupid. Uh, they, they do stupid things. They, they do it every day. Sure. I will tell you, as a pediatrician, I, I sometimes see the consequences of their very, very stupid, young, in love uh, actions that they will do. STDs? Yeah, and pregnancies and yeah, that that stuff. And tattoos. Uh, um, I do see tattoos and, uh, <laughs> you know, and they're not quite 18. So, you know. But that makes sense why she would give up her voice in the first act of the movie because she's young and crazy in love. Totally, totally agree. But then at the end of the movie, her willingly giving up her mermaid identity, that I think is a little bit different. I guess um, the only thing I could think quickly, canon-wise, is that mermaids seem to be able to breathe. That seems to be kind of easy, so all she needs is legs. But you're also right. Um, One thing I think... uh, that they'll probably change. This is one of my favorite villain deaths in all of Disney. I love Eric just shoving that spear right into her. It's great. And the animation of the octopus tentacles wrapping around a ship is is fantastic. Uh, but I, I did notice that Ariel didn't seem to do anything except get fired at, you know, uh, lightning bolts. I'd like her to at least try something. She saves Eric. Like, she saves Eric in the beginning of the movie, you know, in the initial shipwreck, and then she saves him during the fight with Ursula. Ursula's, like, about to kill him. Why with her wand? Oh, you're right, and she does deflect that. So, and then she kills her eels, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, right, so, right. so Ariel saves Eric twice in this movie, which is interesting for, you know, a Disney movie where usually the man does the saving. No, she saves him twice. Oh, okay, then then I take that back. Yeah, because I, I kind of got wrapped up in the very end. Yes, at the very end, she's in distress. But yeah, that, that can happen. She's at the bottom of, a, of an abyss there. Right, right. I do think that the live-action movie has got to be longer. Like, this animated movie was an hour 20-something minutes. It's really, really short. And okay, I'm fine with a shorter movie, but, and sort of like a bigger picture thing, really short movies, I think, tend to not stand the test of time. And that's a blanket statement and a generalization. And of course there are exceptions, but I think today, sort of like you were alluding to earlier with like movie theaters kind of in decline and people would rather just wait for the movie to come to streaming. If you are going to go and spend 10, 15, $20 a ticket, you want to be entertained for at least two hours. Most of the time with exceptions, like a movie that's 80 minutes you kind of feel like you're being ripped off, you know? Yeah, and, uh, you know, one thing I hope that they do change with the film or one thing I hope they don't change with the film, I don't need more knowledge about, uh, you know, all of the other sisters and a lot more initial stuff. I do think there's a lot of spin-off uh, potential if you, if you get some good one-liners from those, uh, you know, any of those sisters that we see in the musical in the beginning, but I don't think it's necessary But I think the obvious way to lengthen this film and the thing that the film does need is give us more of them falling in love and do it with, uh, you know, a scene where there's heroicism, maybe both sides and make it make it funny. Just look at some silent films if you need some inspiration. I totally agree. The love story in the animated movie is 
basically non-existent. She's infatuated with him, which, you know, fine. That happens all the time with young people. But like, yeah, they don't really fall in love. The three days that Ursula gives Ariel to secure the true love's kiss, that happens really, really fast in the movie. I didn't clock it, but like, I'm going to guess 20-ish minutes. There's room there. Expand that. I know that the the new movie has more songs. I believe four more songs written by Alan Menken and Lin-Manuel Miranda. I'm guessing at least two or three of them will take place in that section because that needs to be expanded. And you know what else needs to be expanded? Uh, Ursula. Yes. Because, uh, you know, she has more backstory than... Uh, Gaston and arguably more than Jafar. We get very little, but it's enough that she was somehow at some point probably aligned with King Triton and that they split somehow and that she's very now, uh, you know, she's scorned and she's really pissed off. There's definitely something interesting there. And, you know, I'm not sure the story of how she, uh, you know, was kicked out of the kingdom is is going to be worth it. But if it's a good story, that that's a really interesting thing I'd like to see. Because I'd like to see more of her motivation. And I'd like it to be less of her, you know, don't make it her trying to steal a jewel or something. Make it good. Make it like, you know, this shouldn't be a place just for mer people or something like that. Even if you had good intentions, you know, those are evil ideas. And she's kicked out. Yeah, there, there's some history there. I think that's definitely something to be explored. Why does she want revenge on Triton? Why is it so important that she get this trident or whatever? Melissa McCarthy is playing her in the new movie. Melissa McCarthy is great. I'm sure they're going to use her and and have her do more than Ursula does in the animated movie. Which, you know, to be fair... Ursula in the animated movie is great. She is a great Disney villain. I think she is considered one of like the the fan favorite Disney villains. But yeah, there's way more stuff you could add with her and her backstory and her motivation and everything. I, I totally agree. Right. And uh, one thing I wonder if they're going to clear up, and I've wondered this since probably the first time I saw this when I guess I was uh, 10 years old when I first saw this film. And that is... Do humans understand the animals? Eric understands Sebastian because that's the only way he finds out Ariel's name. You know, during the song Kiss the Girl, he just says, like, Ariel, her name is Ariel. Like, Sebastian is telling this to Eric, and then Eric goes, Ariel? And it's like, do do they understand these animals or not? And uh, it's not explained. And I would like them to go one way or the other, and I would like them to go the way that they can't understand the marine animals. Great question. The way I interpret that is that humans can't really understand animals, but there's something about the way he kind of whispers that word that Eric kind of hears it in the wind, sort of, and that leads him to guess it. He doesn't think, hey, that talking crab just said the word Ariel. I don't think it's that literal, but you're right. It does kind of not make a lot of sense. You know what I didn't remember about Ursula's plot It all hinges on a contract like that Ariel has to sign. And then when Triton gets involved at the end, he's like, you can't have my daughter. I'm magical and I'm more powerful than you. And that's that. And you think, yeah, that makes sense. What? Because she signed a piece of parchment. But then Ursula is like, no, no, this contract is binding. And uh, Triton like points his trident at it. And it's like, oh, no, I can't break this contract. 
I thought that was really, really weird in like a kid's movie. You know, this concept of a contract that is stronger than magic. Uh, you know, even today, I think presidents would be held to some kind of private contract that, you know, a corporation had. You couldn't really override it without, say, you know, uh, Supreme Court or something. But I do think that the contract should have been depicted a little bit more magically. And then that's what, like, he couldn't literally destroy because it was a magical contract. I mean, not to get super meta, but I was kind of thinking about that in the context of this is a Disney movie, you know, don't sue me, Disney, but, you know, Disney sues. Like, they are a litigious company. If a company messes with them, they will fight back. There was a thing on John Oliver not that long ago about, like, this daycare in Florida or somewhere. They had, like, Mickey Mouse on the wall, and the Disney company sued the school to stop using their trademark. And, you know, John Oliver made a whole joke about painting over the Mickey Mouse in front of the kids. It was funny, but, like... Is it important that it's a contract because it's a Disney movie? I don't really know the Hans Christian Andersen original fable. I'm guessing there wasn't a contract in there. Maybe. I don't really know. You really, really are hung up by this contract part. I, I just thought it was weird. I just didn't remember that at all. That like it all comes down to a contract. Whatever. I feel like magic should be more important than contracts. I guess that's basically what it boils down to. Well, I think maybe a line by Ursula, like when you sign it and she's like, this is for all eternity and nothing, no powers, no magic, nothing in the oceans or above can break this. You know, some line like that. And then you go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like, you know, magically uh, enchanted. Sure. Even Triton with all of his powers cannot break this contract. That's all you need. Just like one line of that, and then Ariel shrugs and signs it anyway. Fine. But James, let me ask you, do you think that 1989's The Little Mermaid stands the test of time? Absolutely. I think it's, uh, you know, not the deepest story. I think it's a very well-made story. The animation is beautiful. The colors are incredibly bright. The songs are, you know, they deserve all the praise that they get. They're wonderful. You know, you have a good... Uh, hero uh heroine in ariel because she's not just damsel in distress like you said uh she does rescue uh eric twice mm -hmm. um and she's not helpless it's funny you know it's got a very simple plot for children to understand and for audiences to follow as well i think as long as the remake follows that general plot and yeah, expands a little bit. You know, all you need is maybe another montage or two with a song. That might be all you need for the falling in love. You know, don't be too complicated. I don't think an entirely brand new subplot, you know, you may be uh, risking something there because you got a great simple movie. Just expand the simpleness. We don't need to also know about uh, Prince Eric's really hysterical assistant. Maybe if he's just comic relief, sure, but not his subplot. But either way, I think this film, as it stands, uh, it stands the test of time. And this film is it's great. And it rightfully uh, reinvigorated the Walt Disney Corporation and Walt Disney Animation. Quality-wise, they, they would get even better. But uh, th this was uh, just a, a wonderful movie and stands the test of time. Uh, what do you think, Al? Little Mermaid. Stands the test of time? Come on, let the audience know. I agree with you that this movie does stand the test of time. When you were talking about the colors and the brightness, it kind of made me think that that is something that worries me a little bit 
just in terms of the fact that I picked this movie to be the number one box office champion of the year. And some of the posters and trailers and things that I've seen do look pretty dark. And, you know, that makes sense. It's underwater. But like, even just seeing like Sebastian, like Sebastian is a crab. Flounder is a flounder. Those things are ugly. You know, like real life crabs and flounders are not good looking. But the animated Sebastian and the animated Flounder, they're adorable. They're bright and funny and they have the big old eyes. And I don't care that they're not realistic looking. I just like looking at them. Even the seagull, like seagulls are gross looking in real life. So that could turn people off. But getting back to the animated movie, I think it works. It is, like you said, filled with humor and great songs. And as a father, I like that it's really about a father's love for his daughter and the daughter rebelling and then kind of coming back to her her family but also needing to create a new family and I think a lot of the the themes and the subtext is really nice except for the problematic parts where she gives up her voice and gives up her identity I do think that will change in the remake even though the movie's only 34 years old it feels old-fashioned like that element kind of feels like oh that must have been from Hans Christian Andersen probably I don't really know but I think you can modernize it and make it more contemporary without it feeling like you know a lecture without it feeling like well the key tenets of feminism or blah 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 I don't think you need to do that I think you just need to make it more of a quote-unquote modern relationship where it's not just Ariel giving up everything for the man and keep all the other stuff. I think it's very easily fixable. That's probably the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Updatable. There you go. Maybe that's better. Um, yes, The Little Mermaid does stand the test of time. I very much enjoyed watching this movie. My daughter and I were snuggling on the couch. It was really cute. I'm looking forward to going to see the live action with her in the theater. I'm guessing you're not going to be racing to the theater to see it because why would you? Right. Uh, I don't really have a reason to. Gotcha. Gotcha. But that's going to do it for us this week. Come back next week when we will be talking about the 1998 movie Can't Hardly Wait. It's the 25th anniversary. I don't think I've ever seen it. Have you seen this one, James? I have seen this film. And you know what, Al? What? I can't hardly wait to review it. Ah, I see what you did there. That's perfect. That was great tease writing, James. Did Did you have that in the can? Were you, like, waiting for that? No, but uh, the writer and director, they also want to do Josie and the Pussycats, and I don't think I'll be able to do a similar uh, segue if we ever review that film. Better start workshopping it now. Get a, get a whiteboard and just work on it. Uh, until then, we want to hear from you guys. What are your thoughts about the animated Little Mermaid, the live-action remake? If you go to see it, tell us what you think about it. We love hearing from you. We are at Testing Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at testingtimepodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next time, everybody. Bye.